I want to start this podcast off by asking if, if any of you have ever seen a Godzilla movie in theaters, aside from the new legendary films or the 1998 Roland Emmerich film. It's an experience. I got to see Godzilla 1985 in a movie theater, and I also got to see Godzilla 2000. And I'm telling this story as my point as to why I selected Godzilla King of the Monsters for a cinema podcast. So I'm sitting in this theater, and it's predominantly filled with fathers and their sons, and, and some daughters, but, but mostly fathers and sons. And I'm watching Godzilla 2000, and there's a new monster in it, uh, Orga, and there's all kinds of stuff going on, and Godzilla is, is trying to defeat this outer space monster. And invariably in the film, there comes a line that usually pops up in almost every Godzilla movie in one way, shape, or form, and that is, you don't want to study Godzilla, you want to destroy him, you want to kill him. And this little kid, it was very mystery science theater, like way down at the front of the theater, silhouetted. This little kid, must have been seven or eight years old, stands up and he points at the screen and he yells, no one can kill Godzilla. And then he looks down at his father, right, dad? And you just see his father's arms coming up to pick this kid up to, to sit him back down in the chair. That's what Godzilla is about. Godzilla brings the kid out of us. And that is why... Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is not cinema. So I'm just going to let you all know, right from the start, there are spoilers. The movie's been out over a month. If you haven't seen it, get out and see it. But I'm just letting you know, I'm going forward with spoilers. So just relax and either listen or shut this podcast off now. But don't bitch about it later on. So I do have a special treat for you real quick. Uh, I have a friend of mine who reads my cinema blog, and he went to see Godzilla King of the Monsters, being a big Godzilla fan, and after an afternoon of day drinking, decided to give me a call while I was on a walk, so I thought I would share that with you. So um, every once in a while, you're going to be hearing from this guy. I like to call him Mr. Cynic, so here he is. Yes, this is Mr. Cynic. Yeah, he called in to call talk shit about uh, Godzilla, eh? So... What I think more than anything else is that Americans should not be allowed to make Godzilla. I don't want to say it's terrible. Like we said, the, the, the monsters deliver. So anything with the monsters in it, I was actually totally happy to see. But anything having to do with any human in there, uh, I guess it's about it. It's just it's like there's 18 million fucking people in this movie that, does, that just don't need to be there. There's so much going on. There's like, if you just kept it simple into like a much more simple story, uh, it's a fucking monster movie. I think we've already seen uh, Washington destroyed, and I've seen that in 18 million fucking movies already, and then I've seen, and then now I've actually seen, uh, there's an underground lair with tunnels that takes you to a special place, maybe Atlantis, you know, that you get to see, and then they basically, they have to nuke uh, Godzilla to, with, a, with the uh, magic sort of suppository, that was my dad's term, uh, <laughs> to basically kind of re, to re-energize him, and so... And how many times now have I seen have like Godzilla died? And there's still I don't, what would you say? There's about an hour left of the movie at that point. Maybe about about forty minutes of the movie left at that point. Yeah. So I mean, it just is like it's a Godzilla movie. You would think that Godzilla would have to be in it at one point during the last forty minutes. There was no fear whatsoever that Godzilla was going to come back. Like you knew Godzilla was coming back. Well, there were little kids in the audience I saw that were afraid that he was dead. <laughs> those kids are dumb. They are. They don't deserve to see Godzilla movies. Warner Brothers and Legendary really hyped the marketing on Godzilla King of the Monsters. 
from the very first trailer, this strategy was to show this was a major departure from the Gareth Edwards 2014 film. And again, not a review, but the Gareth Edwards 2014 film was not a bad movie either. And it definitely was not cinema. Many will concur, however, that a major shortfall of the 2014 film was that there just wasn't enough Godzilla. Well, there wasn't enough Brian Cranston, and there was probably a little too much kick-ass, but not the monster kick-ass action we kind of hoped for. What Edwards did achieve was wiping away the stain of the Roland Emmerich 1998 film and restoring Godzilla to a serious regal character and cementing him as a kind of world protector. The new film follows up on that with a great line after one of the characters admits relief that Godzilla's on her side. For now, another scientist replies. You'll notice I didn't give any character names because one of the shortfalls of Godzilla King of the Monsters 2019 is there are just too many damn characters and I don't know what the hell all of them did. I've said on Twitter a number of times and some people have really liked the illusion that I drew a parallel from Gareth Edwards' 2014 film to The Dark Knight in which Godzilla is really basically Batman, even down to the score of the 2014 film. And to a lesser extent, uh, Bear McCreary's score, he keeps up that that Dark Knight kind of feel. And they, they molded Godzilla into a kaiju Dark Knight, you know, like an Avenger who will never be truly trusted or accepted by the establishment. And, and King of the Monsters clearly shows that not only will he not be trusted, but he's also going to be hunted. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, the 2014 film had issues, but but cinema was not one of them, and it's definitely not the case here. It was well-made, and with respect for the monster's 60 years of fans who grew up with them. It boasted a top-line cast, special effects, and production values. All films have issues, folks, but cinema was not one of the issues with either Godzilla King of the Monsters or Godzilla 2014. I got to give props to the whole advertising campaign, which started right around, like, I think they really kicked it into gear around Christmas 2018 with this, like, beautiful and moving musical piece that just might be the most lyrical monster commercials ever made. And the marketing took the ironic trailer bent. You folks know what that is? It's it's like The Shallows, when they used to show these previews for The Shallows and you saw, you know, Blake Lively looking hot in a bikini and she's... Uh, you know, surfing and paddling out. And instead of ominous music and all that, they played like this narration from um, like one of those 50s or 60s classroom movies. Like it sounded like it was a motivational or psychological film that they used to play on a projector, those 16 millimeter films. And then of course you see it get crazy and, and there's a shark attack and blah, 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 blah. And all of this is deemed as ironic. It's not what you would expect seeing this very bland narration paired with these startling images. Well, they, they kind of did that with Over the Rainbow for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and pairing it with these striking images of these monsters. It, it, was, it was brilliant. It also hinted that there would be more of a mystical bent to this film than its predecessor. You are going to get monsters. This will not be like the 2014 film. You are going to choke on monsters this time around. There's a fine line between a review and, and talking about cinema. I'm going to list some problems with King of the Monsters to show that I'm not a blind fanboy. And, and I'll even admit, the original Godzilla films are really uneven in quality, and, and that's being kind. The first is the best because it's the first, and it had a real message. It was Japan's response to the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Godzilla started as a bitch slap to mankind in what is now known as the Showa 
series of films. That was named for the dynastic period of the time, and it's basically the movies from 1954 to 1995. They're of varying quality. Some love Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. Others thought it was a bizarre piece of hippiedom. You have others that borrowed clips from other movies and recycled those when the budgets were being cut. You have Godzilla vs. Megalon, which you know, was part of Mystery Science Theater. Uh, Godzilla's Revenge, which just featured again, it was kind of like a clip show uh, about bullying and all that stuff. So it, it was an uneven batch. There, there are a few good films in there and you love Godzilla because he's Godzilla, but you can't really say that all of these films were spectacular. Again, it depends. It depends on your point of view. And most of all, th the biggest factor in enjoying the old Godzilla films is nostalgia. No one can kill Godzilla. Right, Dad? They retired Godzilla for about 10 years in 1975, and then in 1985, uh, he came back with Godzilla 1985, which was the bastardized American version of The Return of Godzilla, which was 1984. I saw Godzilla 1985 in theaters. They edited back in uh, Raymond Burr, and it was, it was a good time. I can't really say I thought it was the greatest movie I ever saw, but there were some moments of it that I enjoyed, and I was still a kid. I was young. I was... 17 when I saw that in movie theaters and I think my brother and I were like two of maybe 10 people in the whole theater. However, in 1995, Godzilla met his nemesis Destroya and uh, who was born of the Oxygen Destroyer, which draws direct parallels to the legendary to make way for the 1998 film, which we all know how that turned out. I will do a separate podcast on why Godzilla 1998 was cinema. My point in telling you all of this stuff is to show you that I know my Godzilla, I love Godzilla, but I'm not a blind fanboy. So what doesn't work about King of the Monsters? There was just too much going on and, and there were too many characters and it was just overload. We have a lot of monsters in this, but we also have a lot of human characters. And aside from Dr. Sarazawa, who was the moral compass of the 2014 film, he returns to serve the same purpose here and also arguably the role of Commissioner Gordon to protect Godzilla's Dark Knight. So we do have a lot of people, and, and aside from Sarazawa, it's, it, it's a tad hard figuring out what the supporting characters do. I mean, Charles Dance is a bad guy, and Vera Farmia starts out as, as a bad guy. And then we have Kyle Chandler, and, and he's a good guy, but he's angry at Godzilla, blaming him for the death of his son. So we kind of have an Ahab uh, to Godzilla's Moby Dick. And then we have Sally Hawkins, who is back as, as Sarazawa's partner, but she just seems to keep doing what she did a lot in the first film, and that is, is put her hands to her mouth and, and look in awe. So you could have effectively cut the human characters in half and had a much more effective story. I'll give you an example. They brought back David Strathern, who played Admiral Stenz in the 2014 film, and and they don't really give him a lot to do. I mean, he's back for continuity and he, he does a lot of grave staring and he's there to kind of wag his finger at Sarazawa saying, you know, your time's almost up, dude. Like Godzilla's either got to perform or I'm taking over this show. Really, Admiral Stenz's only job in this movie is to introduce the Oxygen Destroyer, which again, seems like they just kind of threw that one in. It's like, oh yeah, and by the way, for the last five years, we've been developing this new missile called the Oxygen Destroyer. You better duck because we just launched it. And you're sitting in the theater kind of going like, what, where the hell did this come from? I mean, I know what the Oxygen Destroyer is, but there was just absolutely no buildup to this. They just kind of pulled it out and launched it. Another issue was the film was really dark, and I don't mean dark in tone, I mean dark in its look. A lot of the action takes place at night. 
And where Kong Skull Island really worked is they had considerable monster action in the daylight. That makes a big, big difference. When it's in the dark and then there's either snow falling or there's rain falling, you do get a little cynical here and thinking, well, did they just do this at night and cover it up with some snow or rain just to push this through post-production quicker because that can hide some of the defects so they don't have to spend a lot of render time. This is not the 2014 film. And they show that clearly even in the opening titles. It drops you right into the destruction of San Francisco in 2014. And from there we get some character development, but it's it's actually really light. And then we go right back to the monsters. I mean, watch the film and see. I've seen this movie three times. And just when you think the basic dialogue scenes start to feel a little long, boom, they cut right to monster action. I mean, going back now, when Sally Hawkins' character perishes when Ghidorah eats her, it happens so damn fast, it took a follow-up scene to show her photo to telegraph to me that she died. I was sitting there going, oh, shit, yeah, she, she died. Everything was, there was just so much going on. Godzilla was beating up Ghidorah and they're all running for their lives and the plane is getting kicked across the ice. And then, you know, they're all running and fleeing from the plane. She had just rescued Kyle Chandler. You, you get my point. It's sensory overload. Much of the action is also shot in close up and, and there are very few wide shots of the fighting. This poses a problem because it's hard to process all that's going on. I mean, on top of it, the edits are so fast we have to fill in the gaps as to what we just saw, and, and, and Dougherty doesn't hold long enough on certain shots, and he should because they are brilliant. Every time they had like some of these big, wide, beautiful shots, they either cut away too fast or they drop some freaking plane or, or object in the front and the foreground, and it's almost like you want to reach out and push that thing aside and say, no, I, I want to see what's happening here. There are just a few long shots of city destruction and, and to show the scale of these monsters. And when they come again, they're, they're just again, they're, they're cut too short. Just as our eyes take in these wonderful images, they're gone. There's a scene where Godzilla jumps out of the ocean and takes out Ghidorah in mid-flight, but they shot it from inside this big jet. And I thought, I guess that was Godzilla. I mean, you, you could tell people in the audience were applauding. They were like, yeah, but some of them were applauding like, Shit, am I applauding for Godzilla or is that another monster that we haven't seen yet that's popping up? They should have shot that from outside the jet in this really cool wide long shot. Then you would take in Godzilla's spikes and all of that. And I know some of you are saying, going, you're nitpicking, you're nitpicking. I'm just saying this is one of the examples of, yeah, there are some defects with this movie, but it is hardly cinema. I mean, the same could be said for the destruction of Washington, D.C. Come on, folks, it's the nation's capital. It's one of the most recognized cities around the world. And by the time we cut to it, it's already been destroyed. And the only way that we really know it's Washington, D.C. is the Capitol Dome underneath the water. Like, it's poking out of the water. And yeah, I get it. You know, Gator has destroyed everything with his storm powers. And we have funnel clouds going on. And we have these cyclonic, you know, backdrops and lightning and Rodan flying around and jets. And it's like... They could have shown a really awesome shot of Ghidorah flying over Washington, D.C. And, and landing down and laying waste to this city. One of the most iconic cities in the world. Explosions, monsters, plane crashes, guns. Shit, man, calm down just a little. Ease up. We finally get some quiet, some really good drama in a beautiful undersea moment with Dr. Sarah Zhao and Godzilla, and I'll talk about that below. It is, in my opinion, hands down, the top scene in the film for me for, for human drama and emotion. You can pack a script with monsters, but you need to frame them with a good story. 
I mean, we're told about 17 monsters have awakened across the globe, not including Godzilla. And that's cool. But then we add eco-terrorists and espionage and betrayal and lots and lots of science and technology talk. I heard a guy sitting next to me ask his son, do you understand what the orca does? And that little kid just sat there and shook his head. Nope. He didn't have a clue. My solution is, 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 is why not pit Sarah Zawa against Charles Dance's Jonah? Why not make them like Kirk and Khan, like in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and instead of starships, they're using monsters to fight their battles. That would have streamlined a lot. True good versus evil with the earth caught in between would have simplified a lot of things. I mean, there were times that I didn't know where the characters were as well. I mean, were, were they on the destroyer ship? Were they on that jet? Were they in down in the underwater base? Were they in a bunker in, in Boston or around the globe? I mean, the problem is when you have so many backdrops that just feature computer screens and monitors, it's hard to discern really where are these people at? So, I mean, I saw this film three times and, and after the third time, it's like, okay, I know where they are. I know where they're here. I know where they're there. But it was not easy on the first time around, and especially in IMAX, because there is a lot visually happening on that screen. And with IMAX, the screen is so huge, there are times your eye is one way and stuff's happening on the other side. The biggest problem with Godzilla King of the Monsters is sensory overload. So the next part is, why isn't Godzilla King of the Monsters cinema? Well, it isn't cinema because of that opening statement that I gave you, that story of me sitting in the theater and that little boy saying, no one can kill Godzilla, right, Dad? Godzilla appeals to the child in us. While I was sitting the third time around in the movie, there was a whole row of kids behind me. This father, God bless him, bought, brought either the Brady Bunch or a kid and all their friends. And when Godzilla's theme played, which I'm going to go into in a moment with Bear McCreary's score, this little girl just went, that's Godzilla's mad music. And then when they shot that oxygen destroyer at him, even in the second and first time that I watched this film, you heard the kids fretting in the theater. Is Godzilla dead, Daddy? I hope they didn't kill him. Please don't let Godzilla be dead. That is the magic of Godzilla. And that's why Godzilla King of the Monsters is in cinema. The original score by Bear McCreary, I'm telling you, the score brought tears to my eyes. And when I found out that they brought back Akira Ifakubi's original cues and scores. I mean, I applauded in the theater. And you know what? So did a lot of other people. From Godzilla's main theme, the Civil Defense March, and then Mothra's theme, the audience applauded when they heard these cues. Like I said, man, this is a man who, if he doesn't love Godzilla, he researched him and he had respect for him. However, there is so much heart and beauty in his score. It's definitive of this movie being devoid of cinema. He gave us our memories back. You sat there and smiled like you were a kid again. And you know what? When I left that theater all three times, I heard kids singing Godzilla's theme. Folks, that's movie magic. The effects in this movie are top of the line. Ghidorah's heads have their own personalities and I heard one kid exclaim in the theater, the middle head is the boss. Indeed, kid. Indeed. Godzilla is amazing in this film, giving us much more depth in his eyes and mannerisms. He is a hero, a god, and everything about his image says don't fuck with him. Rodan gets his own show and comes through in the personality department. He's now part volcanic creature and fire demon, and he was a hit, and his emergence from his volcano prison was a standout effect in the film. However, 
Next to Godzilla, it's Mothra who steals the show. She is dangerous looking, and yet the queen of the monsters, as she's dubbed in this, is radiant and gorgeous. And I'm going to go even a little further and say she's actually quite dainty. She sacrifices her life, as she always does, for the greater good. She's the yin to Godzilla's yang. She saves him so Godzilla can save us all. It's Ken Watanabe's performance as Dr. Sarazawa that's the glue of this film, and it was the glue of the 2014 film. Sarazawa, like I said, is Jim Gordon to Godzilla's Batman. He shines in this movie, acting as a Greek chorus to the Parade of Monsters. He's Godzilla's only human ally, and as we find out by the end, he's also his friend. His last moment on Earth with Godzilla, I'm not kidding you, brought tears to my eyes. That scene between man and monster was moving, poignant, and the center to everything. Watanabe provides the best human performance in the film, and he redeems the lack of character depth and story issues. You can forgive it all. That's because his performance is honest and simple, as all good stories should be. Now, there are a lot of Easter eggs in this movie, and and I'm not going to go through them all because that's not the point of this. However, the Easter eggs I do cite because of the simple fact that it was done by people who love these movies. There was nothing cynical about this. When Godzilla rises, reborn, you hear his original theme. That's great. However, when he turns to swim away and Kyle Chandler is staring at him, you hear a brief bit of music, which was taken directly from 1995's Godzilla vs. Destroya, and it was the scene where Godzilla had just died. And so it was a tribute to that film. A small moment, but it made me smile. Again, the people that made this movie love Godzilla. However, in the end, it all comes down to the director, Michael Dougherty. And his direction was deft because he stepped respectfully on fertile, hallowed ground. He wove tributes to the original films into a whole new narrative without spoon-feeding. So those articles that I've read, those reviews that call the legendary films mediocre, they couldn't be more wrong. There is no mediocrity here at all. These are films that came to the fore and stood up and took back Godzilla and gave us Godzilla as the Godzilla we remembered. We leave with Godzilla bigger, badder, and better understood. Dougherty gave Godzilla a wonderful character arc. He could have given us a cynical film. He could have given us a cash grab and walked away with a big fat paycheck. Instead, Dougherty upped the ante, throwing all the chips in and letting them fall where they may. You know, we live in a day and age now where this movie is closing in on $400 million and it's been considered a box office disappointment. A lot of the articles attack it for being an uninspired sequel and or remake. It's, it's none of those things. It's not a disappointment. It gave so many fans what they looked for, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. So Adam Wingard, you're next. Your work is cut out for you with Godzilla vs. Kong. Whatever it turns out to be, just don't let it be cinema. Head on over to iTunes and give me a like and review, and if you want to read my cinema blog, you'll find it at horrorfuel.com forward slash author forward slash Harrison. If you like this podcast, and if you're an aspiring filmmaker making your way through the independent film minefield, I offer one-on-one coaching sessions by phone or Skype. Email me at this site or classof85llc at gmail.com for information and pricing. I offer input on your completed or in-development film or screenplay, and offer insight into all aspects of pre-production, production, and post, and eventual distribution. Hope to hear from you.